Listen up. You're stepping into a world where spoilers don't just lurk in alleys. They're woven into the very fabric of every conversation. You think you're ready, but this isn't just another day at the office. This case, it's a beast. It's got spoilers for the movie 7 that will test your limits, challenge your morals, and haunt your dreams. Welcome to the Force, Detective. Let's see what you're made of. This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then compete to improve them. I'm your host, the best, the best, the best, and this week's movie is David Fincher's classic calling card, Seven. So, Peril Pals, steady your wine glasses as that train passes by, and stock up on Little Tree's air fresheners, because it's Friday, you know what that means. Let's get diabolical! Hello and welcome to this week's pod, wherein these three reprobates and I comprise the panel of peril who will compete to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn points for our leaderboard in the show's competitive round. But first... eh, I'd just like you to, to introduce yourselves and perhaps perhaps just tell me uh, what your favourite single digit number is, please. And let's go alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Adam. And my favourite single digit number is three, I think. Oh, the magic number. Very good. I like that it goes into nine three times. Oh, divisible. Lovely. Cubit. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it goes right yeah. into nine, doesn't it? Not once, not twice, but thrice. <laughs> you take that You take that three times, nine. You take it. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Hi. Ben here. And my favourite single digit number is four. Because it goes into nine twice, but leaves one <laughs> left over. Plus one. <laughs> for a little party. No. Uh, it's one out, left out on its own. Yeah, it's, it's having a disco. And that's the one I spend most time with. I'll let nine take care of the other eight. Hey, it's Craig here, and unlike these pussies, I'm not going to avoid the best one. My favourite single digit number is seven. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, it's the film. Oh, that's very so, ironic, isn't it? Very it's ironic. Just the truth. Lucky number seven. Suck it up to the best of best of best. Yeah, that's it. Oh, <laughs> As for me, uh, my favourite single digit number is... Uh, let's say five. Seven, or seven if you prefer, was released in 1995 (laughs) following a tortured development process for screenwriter Andrew Kevin Walker. Forced by the studio to blunt the edges of his screenplay over the course of 13 redrafts, including an alternate, less bleak ending, he would eventually find allies in director David Fincher and star Brad Pitt, who were both drawn to the original vision of a modern hell in an unnamed city. Seven tells the tale of disillusioned Detective Somerset, played by Morgan Freeman and young idealist Detective Mills, played by Pitt, as they are put on the trail of a killer that they soon discover is dispatching their victims via a Seven Deadly Sins theme. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, sloth and wrath. Rather than wait to be caught, the killer, known as John Doe, hands himself over to the police just before the film's final act in order to fulfil his truly diabolical scheme in a doom-laden finale. Seven was released to a mixed critical reception, with Roger Ebert describing it as intelligent and well-made, whereas Richard Schickel claimed that the script lacks suspense, witty dialogue or humour essential to this type of film. Nevertheless, its appeal endures to this day, its fans revering the pitch-black tone and plot whilst it sits at 65% on the critics' side of Rotten Tomatoes. But what did the panel think of this week's film? And let's begin with Craig. Well, first of all, let me say that uh, you listeners and my co-hosts are lucky that I didn't get the chance to pick seven because I certainly would have been calling it Sussevenin <laughs> throughout the entire recording, and you would have been bored of it by now. I, I can only see. And I absolutely refute that it's not witty and humorous. 
I think yeah. it's uh, it's bleak beyond belief, but it's very funny until it isn't. <laughs> so I suppose is the way to say it. <laughs> and I'm sure that we will all have some favourite lines that uh, exemplify the humour. But yeah, I think it's a Stone Cold classic. I think it's one of Finch's best. I think it's one of the best serial killer films we've had. There are times in it when the filmmaking is just kind of stunning, but doesn't take you out of it. Some great shots, some really nice cinematography. One of the first films I remember buying on DVD, having seen it a bunch of times on VHS, Mm. suddenly Hmm. it was like watching a new film Mm. because the quality of the image, because it's a very darkly lit film, of course, suddenly I could see things in it that I had literally never seen before just because of the quality. They also redid the colour grade for the DVD, didn't they? Do you remember there's there's an extra with Fincher describing, you know, particularly during the finale? Right, that's right, yeah. I think it's like a, a, a really brave round of brilliant casting. Film magazines and things like that talk a lot about, you know, the casting of uh, Morgan Freeman and, and Brad Pitt because of the test screening that they did where a load of old biddies went in expecting it yeah. to be like <laughs> Legends of the Fall and Driving Miss Daisy, and then they were treated to seven. But uh, more than that, I think the casting of kind of Hollywood cutesy power couple, Brad and Gwyneth, yeah. and Gwyneth Paltrow is excellent in this. But what a choice for them at that point in their career and their relationship. More than ever, watching this time, I really appreciate how brilliantly paced and plotted it is. I was watching the, the whole the seven thing unfold and just thinking it was brilliant. It is a little silly and contrived that it takes place over seven days. I think maybe that's a bit of a fake out at the start. Yeah. Because he's got a week left, hasn't he? That You're lulling people into thinking, right. oh, it's just, just seven days. That's why it's called seven. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I bet that is it, yeah. Other great castings in there as well are Leomi, mm. Richard Roundtree, yeah. uh, John C. McGinley, mm-hmm. California, great yes. name for a character. <laughs> it was one of my top 10 films of the 90s in when I was in the 90s and it's still kind of firmly in my top 50 I would say it, it couldn't be better for what it aims to achieve it's brilliant hmm. top 50 you can get bloody all sorts in there that's a wide range you've probably got the Care Bears movie in there <laughs> who hasn't oh god <laughs> which Care Bears movie is what I'm asking you know how do you decide which one to keep in Care Bears 2 Return to Care Mountain is that what it's called <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm just pulling names out my ass. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> okay, next, let's hear Ben's thoughts. You may have heard me agreeing with Craig there, and I do. I think it's a dark film, damned dark, but it's a great watch. I think the plot that drives the film is absolutely captivating from start to finish, mm. both in terms of a central mystery and the depths of depravity that the killer sinks to. The Freeman and Pet hit peak form as the odd couple. Mm. And I think they elevate the story. And it's you know it's already a great story, but they really elevate it. You know, in terms of Finch's work that we've already covered on the podcast, though I enjoyed The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think this film is head and shoulders above it. So overall, I give it its murder most foul, but filmmaking most flawless. And it's a crying shame that there aren't six more of these. <laughs> What's that of? And that's out of five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> out of five. Ooh. Out of five, well. Interesting. We're all in shock there. <laughs> I was thinking about that, actually. That's another one of the kind of, not urban legends, because I think it was real, but there was talk of a, a sequel where Somerset, it would be more supernatural. Yeah. I think he was meant to develop some kind of precognitive psychic powers or something. Powers. And the killer also had psychic powers. I think it would have been weird, and I don't like it, but this watch, I was thinking... Somerset is such a great detective character that he could have had other films, not like a sequel to Seven, because it doesn't need one, but he's as good a detective character to me as like a Columbo or a Poirot or what have you. Mm. It's a really well-rounded character with interesting idiosyncrasies. That film, the spec script, eventually did get made. They were pitching it as eight with the letter G changed to the number eight. But Fincher and Morgan Freeman both said no interest, and it got made as a film called Solace, which released in 2012 and just vanished without trace. I might try and seek it out, actually, just to see what could have been. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a good idea to me, though, giving giving him psychic powers. No, that was the thing that put me off when I first (laughs) heard about it. But 
a film with Somerset, I think, mm. could have gone somewhere. Or maybe still could. Young Somerset before he becomes jaded, him and his partner, perhaps. Yes, that would have been great. Will Smith is Somerset, yeah. <laughs> He's not oh, young. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith's not young. <laughs> yeah, he can play any age. He's very versatile. <laughs> I mean, Tony can play anywhere from 25. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on and hear Adam's thoughts on Seven. One of my first notes is it's already a masterclass in lighting and it's gorgeous. Mm. There's so many bits in, in the first like 15 minutes. I was just like, this is great. And it's just the bits where you know, they might lean in a bit or take a step forward and then part of their face is lit up. And, and, I, and I was just like, I love I love stuff like that. It's just like a colour noir detective story, really, wasn't it? And I loved yeah. all that. Yeah. It was just ratcheted up for the modern audience who so had to have the, the shocking elements of obviously the, the theme of the, uh, the murderer and stuff. I thought it basically, Morgan Freeman, an absolute powerhouse. I'm not sure if he got nominated that year for an Oscar, but on this performance... He's done a lot of great stuff, but I think he's the, the way he's comes across as this this uh, solemn sort of hermit kind of guy buried into his work, and then when he has sits down for the meal with Gwyn and Brad, and it just his character unfolds, and I just think it's great, and he shows it all the way through. So I think it's probably my favorite Morgan Freeman performance. Yeah, I did think Brad Pitt's character possibly intentionally he was a bit two D. I didn't I didn't like his performance really that much in it. But the whole film in general, I just thought was brilliant. It's been ages and ages and ages since I've seen it. So it was like, I knew what the, the end result was going to be, obviously, because everybody knows. But really enjoyable. Like everybody said, there's loads of good casting choices in this film from people who appear, you know, as character actors throughout the last 20, 25, 30 years. And you just go, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, um, what's his name? Leland Orser. As the crazy guy yeah. in the questioning, and I was like, oh, look at him. <laughs> I, I, I did it. I, I fucked him. That guy. Yeah, I found him very stressful this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody does know the ending, you're right. I'll do the spoiler warning for you now. What's in the box? We shan't tell. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's been ages since I've seen it. Really enjoyed this watch. I think it's. A modern classic. I think people 50 years from now will be going, let's have a look at a real classic detective film from the 90s. Let's go to seven. I think it'll be top of their list, to be honest. It's interesting that you say it's a modern classic when you consider it's nearly 30 years old. Yeah. When I clocked that today, I was like, oh, Jesus, where's that frigging time gone? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> anyway, as for my thoughts on the film, I haven't got a huge amount to add to what the three members of the panel have said. Perfect. Except <laughs> except to say that on this watch, I loved how they play Mills and Somerset as opposites for the majority of the mm. film. You've got the kind of, I suppose you'd call it optimism of Mills about how he can make a difference in the city and turn things around versus Somerset's grizzled veteran who's just lost all hope. He's a bit jaded, isn't he? Mm, yeah, completely. Mills being married, Somerset being single, having lost his great love. Yeah. Somerset being well-read and thoughtful versus Mills just staring at the same photos, trying to work out what's going on. Mills making childish jokes, Somerset making quite erudite jokes. And then, of course, at yeah. the end, they almost swap places when Mills becomes wrath and Somerset's yeah. trying to stop him from completing the plan brilliantly played between them as they they slowly thaw you get the feeling that if the ending had been different they wouldn't have been friends i think somerset would have gone off into the sunset and that'd be that but that slow thawing of their relationship throughout the course of the film is, is brilliantly played particularly in the scene where they're waiting for the fingerprints to come back and the guy tells them to piss off out yeah. of the way because they're annoying him <laughs> they they sit on the bench <laughs> in the hall and fall asleep on each other and then brad pitt's like uh, wiping himself off yeah. <laughs> he's so childish <laughs> well that's the thing that unites them isn't it their drive to solve it yeah because somerset at the start is entirely insistent he doesn't even want to be on the case does he because he knows it's it's going to be a big one yeah but he he can't help himself but be drawn back in over the course of the uh, the late supper at the at the mills household yeah it's brilliant and howard shaw's score as well is just it's yeah, so amazing. good 
straight away with the big sort of boom, boom, driving bassy horns. You're just like, ah, oh, something bad is going to happen in this film. <laughs> Seems you hear that score kicking. Yeah. Yeah, tremendous. It's funny though, because one of the things that ends up uniting Mills and Somerset is that Somerset actually does have quite a childish sense of humour. And his, some of his reactions are quite childlike as well. His reaction to Brad Pitt kicking down John Doe's door is very stroppy. I love that. Mm, yeah. And when they are preparing to meet him and they're shaving their chests and talking about workman's comp yeah, and stuff and they share a little laugh. So I think Somerset does like Mills and I think he really likes the family life that he has. He, like John Doe, is kind of envious of that. And I think that relationship gives Somerset as much as it gives Mills. And the other thing is Mills, he recognises Somerset in a way that no one else at the precinct seems to, because he's not well-liked, is he, Somerset? No, no one seems to care for him. He says, whenever anybody spends enough time with me, they tend to find me disagreeable. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. But Mills sees right through all that, and he sees him for who he is and realises that actually he says he wants to retire, but he's, he doesn't. Mills is like, hey, that's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> And in terms of the score, like, obviously, this is, I believe, the first time Trent Reznor appeared on a Fincher film. Mm. You know, that opening title sequence is something else. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's almost become a a lost art. Mm. After this, innovated the opening credit sequence to the point where you got sequences like Guillermo del Toro's Mimic, which is quite similar, I think, done by the same team. Again, like what Ben was saying with the detective genre moving to TV, opening credits have kind of moved to TV as well, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, what I said when we watched Dragon Tattoo, that opening felt like Prestige TV to me. And I yeah. I guess that's because Prestige TV saw Seven and we're like, we want that. When Chris Carter created Millennium, he had, he had originally made The Exiles because he wanted to make a Silence of the Lambs TV series. Hmm. So that's why Scully is so much like Clarice Starling. And with Millennium, he wanted to make a seven TV series. And you get, you see the opening credits of Millennium that are so good. Uh, and you see seven all over it. And I think TV has really kind of picked that up and run with it. Yeah. Hats off to everybody involved for that. I know he's persona non grata in Hollywood and the world. Joss Whedon. Kevin Spacey. Oh, Kevin Spacey. Or his insistence on taking his name out of the opening credits. Yeah. I think really makes yeah, the film it's, it's an interesting addition at the end isn't it yeah yeah because it really is a surprise still really cool that the end credits run backwards yeah. as well i really like that yeah yeah just a little thing but i really like it yeah because the usual suspects had not long come out hadn't it and he right he apparently said if you put my name on the credits they're gonna know that i'm the bad guy straight away. <laughs> right yeah so i got a couple of questions for you that you you might not know the answer to but so one of them is, I never noticed this before, but there's there's a guy outside the sex club with long hair and shades, and he really looked like David Fincher to me. Is that David Fincher in the little wig and glasses? Don't know. I've never seen Fincher with long hair, so if it is him, he, he's got a wig on, which is not impossible yeah, in a film, a as far as I'm aware. No. I believe true, maybe yeah. some people in films have worn wigs from time to time, <laughs> so it's possible. <laughs> I believe there's a whole segment of staff that are responsible for wigs, oh I believe. Oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. Wow. Really? <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to ask you, if I did know about this, it's uh, knowledge that I have forgotten. And I did have the special edition DVD, and I'm sure I probably knew this at one time, but what was the original script like, and what did they take out of it to make it into this, which is still quite dark? Well, I think this is the original version of the script. They went back to uh, the original version. The alternate ending is pretty much all I know, which is where Somerset shoots John Doe instead. And Mills yeah. says, what are you doing? And he says, retiring. <laughs> so it's the, the, the seven plan hasn't been fulfilled because yeah. nobody became yeah. rough, so he, he doesn't win. To Rubbish. It. Yeah, that's shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I see. Another version that I read was that the finale took place in a big church that was on fire. That that was about the only detail that I got from it. But it was on fire when they got there. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, well, I guess we're going in there then. <laughs> Bloody typical. <laughs> I heard that, or I read that David Fincher got sent the wrong script by mistake. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar. 
And so he was never supposed to see the ending that we got. Mm. He was supposed to see the rewrite, but because yeah. he got sent the wrong draft, he kind of fell in love with that ending yeah. and then fought right. for it. Mm. I'm pretty sure there's a, they went as far as animatic with the other ending, didn't they? I'm pretty sure I've seen an animatic of it. Well, storyboards, yeah. Yeah, on yeah. the DVD again. I'm pretty sure they're on there. Yeah. Not sure whether they would have had animatics back then. 1994, they would have been made. They had the Animaniacs in the 90s. I they used did. to watch it. Oh, they sure did. <laughs> they were zany to the max, those guys. Yeah, they had baloney in their slacks. That's about when Ritalin, didn't they? <laughs> well, then, shall we move along to everybody's favourite sequences? And we'll begin. With the man, Ben. There are a few parts that I like. I really love the way the tension breaks at that dinner, mm. for example. Yeah. It, I think it builds really well to that point. And then that whole release of the laughter, mm. it feels really real. But actually, my favorite aspect of the film was its griminess. Everything felt dirty. Oh, yeah. The feeling of a diseased city, like the corruption was in every single element for every apartment you go in the streets constantly raining and i think that acted as a character right throughout the film and played a big part in making it feel real making it feel there could be someone committing these murders yeah i really like that attention to detail yeah agreed agreed and let's move on to adam i'd echo what ben said about the i think we'll probably all say that that dinner scene and where the laugh is like dropping a pebble into a still pond isn't it It just mm. but it's so perfect it's such a great moment but i love the bit as well when they reveal that the government's been monitoring what people take out of libraries and stuff like that and i just love that sequence yeah. and i was like yeah of course they would of course they would you know probably didn't do it very well but you know yeah. it was just i just thought it was a really fun interesting and probably intentionally amusing moment as well i just really liked it it was really fun yeah there's another one of those great character actors as the federal agent. What's the matter? You kids don't like falafel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's in loads of stuff, isn't he? Yeah. And Craig, do you have a different scene apart from the late supper scene? I wonder. Or sequence. <laughs> yeah. The sequence where they find off the back of that information, John Doe's apartment. And then he fires on them and they chase him through the building and mm. particularly the bit where Mills leaps out onto the fire escape ladder and is shot from above with the rain falling down on him. Fucking brilliant. And then the chase down the alley when he's face down in the puddle. He's got John Doe's silhouette standing above him with a gun to his head. It's all so good. The slow motion way that he just goes, no, as he's about to get shot. Slightly off, isn't it? Yeah brilliant you kind of sense that he, he doesn't want to kill him because he wants it to show him what he's doing yeah oh yeah. but it still feels horrible yeah that was i was gonna ask that is are we supposed to infer that he's kind of making his decision at that point whether to kill him or not i think mm. he's already decided not mm. to kill him he's already got his name earlier on yeah. hasn't he so that he's already formulated yeah. the final two parts of the planet and been rough by that point yeah i think so yeah because even in the hall, he kind of had him dead to rights, didn't he? And he, he misses yeah. Pulp Fiction style. <laughs> he says, though, when all that kicks off, that he's got to accelerate his plan. So maybe there was something something mm. else. He had something else cooked up, but obviously the intervention of the detectives threw him off, and then that's, he maybe switched his focus. Yeah. Yeah, he does say that he's had to shift things around mm. a bit because of the unexpected interruption, mm. doesn't he? What that would have entailed, probably the same thing, I would imagine. <laughs> But slower. <laughs> but yeah, slightly slower. It would have been uh, 14 days instead of seven. <laughs> In that chase sequence as well, there's one shot of Mills. I think he's like hopping across car bonnets and it's yeah. shot. It looks to me like with a telephoto lens because it's so shaky, like trying yeah. to keep him in the frame. I just thought that was quite an interesting choice. It makes it very kinetic yeah. and chaotic. Gives it real edge. That tension that Richard Schickel says it doesn't have it's definitely on display in that scene and certainly the finale so i'm not quite sure where he got that from yeah absolutely in the, in the finale <laughs> that's a bizarre thing to say about seven my favorite sequence is the montage editing when somerset is in the library 
doing his biblical mm. research set to Bach yeah. over the PA system intercut with Mills, looking, just staring at his photos. He does find a few bits in fairness, but it's just, it is that nice contrast between the holistic nature of Somerset versus just staring straight ahead of him, Mills. And you also see Tracy yeah. looking lonely in the background there as well. So it's setting everything up in one go. Just that piece of music by Bach, it makes the whole sequence quite quite elegant, quite beautiful in its own way. With this horrible religious imagery and words flashing up on the screen that we're assuming yeah. Doe is being inspired by. The uh, coroner played by Reggie Cathy as well. Another excellent mm. character actor who people might know from The Wire. I'm sure you'll recall that in our school days i mentioned to you a few times <laughs> that i i wish that part had been played by kermit the frog yeah with no explanation <laughs> uh you know i found the linoleum not for laughs just completely play it straight but it's kermit the frog <laughs> would making a remake of seven with the muppets go too far in your eyes maybe have michael kane play somerset you can only have one Muppet in it. That's the that's the deal breaker. One's the magic number. <laughs> and Fozzie plays uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> Fozzie Brad Pitt. Michael Caine is Somerset. Oh, that'd be beautiful. I'd well watch that. <laughs> no, I think they have the count as Somerset. <laughs> Just laughing at all the clues. Ah, 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 gluttony. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> at least you can count to seven, I suppose. Hmm. <laughs> Let's move on to favourite lines, and we'll begin with Adam this time. Gentlemen, 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 I'll never understand. All these books, a world of knowledge at your fingertips. What do you do? You play poker all night. <laughs> and then one of the guards retorts, we got culture coming out of our asses <laughs> before putting bark on. I know he says, how's this for culture, doesn't he? And he whacks that on because somebody says that, I think, first. And then, oh, then yeah. he's the one that must have a little bit of culture. <laughs> the guy who puts the, the music on, is he a security guard in every Hollywood film? I feel like I've seen him as a security guard in a few things. He's the bus driver in Speed. Yeah, oh, is it? that's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah. Okay. Similar kind of uniform, yeah. I guess. <laughs> nice one. Here, Craig's favourite line. Oh, let's do... There are so many great ones, but just because we were talking about him, who was it? Some dickhead? Richard Chicken. <laughs> Saying that it's not witty. Very early on, when the coroner comes into the crime scene, picks the guy's face up out of the plate, and it's like... <laughs> and he goes, he's dead. And someone says, thank you, doctor. fucking great and Ben let's see what you got mine is another moment of humour it's the police captain sitting at the desk the phone rings he answers it and just shouts this ain't even my desk slams it down (laughs) it's such a weird little detail isn't it yeah it doesn't need to be there at all it's so good Yeah. yeah it's a great role for him Ali Ermi, uh, isn't it? Because yeah. everybody associates yeah, him with just yeah. drill sergeants and shouty army types, and he actually gets to play like a, a quite a quietly spoken, firm but fair captain. So, yeah, fantastic role for him. Ben's just stolen my line. I thought I'd oh, made it to the end there without anybody taking it. Oh, so yes. yes. Goddamn kids, I would have gotten away with I'm it. I'm so satisfied with that. I'm very satisfied. Oh, I've got one. I've got one, I've got one, I've got one. It's another moment of of humour, quite dark humour, when they arrive at the appointed place in the desert for the finale, uh, Mills, Somerset and John Doe. And there's a dead dog there. And Doe just looks up and says, I didn't do that. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. He's got a wicked little sense of humour, John Doe, hasn't he? He's got his redeeming qualities after all. He's a prankster, he's a trickster, he's a jokester. Hey, maybe he's not such a bad bloke after all. Yeah. (laughs) No man that cracks jokes about dead dogs could be all that bad. (laughs) (laughs) One line that I really love, that's an earnest line, not a funny line, and that I think about a lot 
as a parent is when Somerset, having learned that Tracy's pregnant, advises her to spoil that kid mm. every chance she gets. Mm. I always mm. think about that. Try my best to do it. I thought he said flush it. <laughs> <laughs> I found a very funny customer review on Amazon for, if you don't know, they're releasing a 4K box set of seven later this year with like John Doe's book. What's and, in the box? Yeah, John Doe's handwritten book and all kinds of cool stuff in it. Yeah. And there's like, people always review stuff before it comes out on Amazon, don't they? Yeah. And this one guy gave it a one star review and said, Seven is just another gruesome graphic film for a mainly young audience numbed by too many internet, intolerant political, ideological, <laughs> etc. Scandinavian noir did much better than Seven. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> it's like an Adam Buxton comment. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like, one star, Gwyneth Paltrow's head was not in my copy. <laughs> <laughs> In Seven, baldy bum bum baddie religious nut John Doe embarks on a killer spree around his unnamed city based on the Christian Bible's seven deadly sins. He chooses his victims based on his own warped morality, the gluttony victim being a plus-sized gent or the greed victim being a criminal defence lawyer, for example. His final gambit is that he himself is the victim of wrath as he reveals to Brad Pitt's detective Mills that he has decapitated his pregnant wife and FedExed him her head, thus prompting Mills to shoot Doe and ensure his name lives on in infamy. But what did the panel think of Doe's sickening scheme? And we're back to Craig giving his thoughts first. Considering how elaborate, theatrical and poetic it is, he pulls it off with a plum, doesn't he? Very, Ooh. very, very well. There are some times when it could have gone south. I'd like to think that if a crazed Kevin Spacey put a knife dildo on the end of my cock and told me to fuck a prostitute to death, that I would simply pass, I'd say now. <laughs> I'd say thank you, John, but no. It's a lovely offer. That's a hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Appreciate where you're coming from. <laughs> I'd stab him to death with my cock. I'm, I'm not going to be about a bush. I'd mock Wahlberg in with my cock. <laughs> Save the day. <laughs> Quickly turn around and just like slash him. <laughs> I'd spin to my knees and spin around and whip my dick around and cut his Achilles like tendons. <laughs> and then as he's going, ah, I go for the package check and I pull his ghoulies down through his body, like with his spine. <laughs> Easy as that, folks. Easy as that. <laughs> well, then, next we'll hear Ben's thoughts on John Doe's plan. Well, it has to be one of the best plans that we've had on this podcast so far. It's one of the few that have actually got away with it. And for that reason, hold on to your hats here, guys. John Doe gets 16 Jesus. dirty, <gasps> grimy florets of broccoli. Oh, my Lord surging to the top Easy. of the leaderboard. Yeah. I'd say by yeah. at least two florets, probably. I think yeah, so. I think yeah. 13 so or 14 is the maximum I've heard before. There's no way of ever knowing, but I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam, what did you think of John Doe's plan? If you admire one thing about his plan, it's timing. Mm. His timing's absolutely impeccable. He's better than a Michelin star chef, isn't he? Just getting out all his... <laughs> Is murdering covers like perfect? What's the Michelin equivalent of murder? Uh, three star, three stars, Michelin stars, probably. I'd say three Michelin stars. I don't know. There's another record, and it must be Turner for most instant quotes for the episode. <laughs> like as soon as you hear it, you know that has to be the one. <laughs> it's like a Michelin chef. 
Ben Ellis murderers camp. Yeah. It's too good. <laughs> I couldn't have come up with that if I had a week to think of it. <laughs> Turner's got the Michelin guide down the side of his toilet. That's what he flicks through. <laughs> it should have been me because I do watch quite a lot of uh, Marco Pierre White videos, especially the ones where he makes Gordon Ramsay look a cunt. <laughs> They're always my favourite ones. <laughs> hey, no need to be envious here, Craig. What, of Gordon Ramsay? Of Turner? Oh, right, yeah. No. <laughs> happy for him. <laughs> so good. As for my thoughts on the plan, it's hard to yeah. argue against a villain's plan in a film that they win, as we've seen numerous times yeah. before. Yeah. It's just, it's exquisitely well thought through, isn't it? As a theme, he's mm. really nailed his theme of religious nut job. He's absolutely gone to yeah. town on it. He's ruined it for all the other religious nut jobs. <laughs> yeah. What are they going to do now? Yeah, they're never going to be able to one-up him. The, the one thing that I really love in his apartment when they raid it is the neon red crucifix on the wall. It's so yeah. trashy. Yeah. It's like, what the hell is that? Yeah, it's weird. It's like something yeah. a vampire would have if vampires were <laughs> allergic to crucifixes or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's an allergy that they suffer from, isn't mm, it? Severely allergic. They get all itchy. Get yourself an antihistamine, you'll be right. <laughs> Before we go any goddamn further, we'd like to thank you for listening to our show so far. I'm going to mix it up a bit this week and ask for a different favour from our loyal peril pals. If you like what you hear, pass it on. Recommend Diabolical to a friend, relative, work colleague, or well wisher who you think will enjoy the show, like we do. We want to get the show into as many ears as possible and you can help us do so with just a few words. And do remember to follow us on all the socials at DiabolicalPod. Now we've come to the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for precious peril points on the perilous leaderboard. Each member gets one vote, which will equal one point on the board. But do remember, you cannot vote for yourself, you saucy babies. Our task this week is to come up with our own serial killer theme, like John Doe, which will ensure that your crimes are remembered. So, let's do this! We're going to start with Ben. It's raining again. Detectives Mills and Somerset pull up outside a house looming at the end of an overgrown driveway. Like all the houses in this impoverished district, its paint is peeling away in long, sorrowful strips. Inside, the air is thick with the scent of mould and decay, the walls stained with the ghosts of water damage. What are we looking at? says Mills, adjusting his colourful tie. A friendly forensic scientist explains that it seems to be a bludgeoning, a stomping, perhaps. But the really weird thing is the tiny blue fibres sprinkled over the body. Somerset asks the scientist to run an analysis on the fibres back at the lab. At the precinct, the consensus is that it was just another gang-related death, but something niggles Somerset. The next day, the pair are called to another crime scene, another bludgeoning, this time a middle-aged married couple. The friendly forensic scientist suspects the murder weapon was a meat mallet from the kitchen. Between the bodies sits a small, round stone painted in black and white stripes. Another day, another murder. This time, a local talk show host. Suffocated. His mouth sewn shut. What does this all mean? Shouts Mills, simultaneously clenching his fist and his pert buttocks. <laughs> Still no closer to catching the killer. The detectives find themselves in the apartment of some dead newlyweds. As they examine the couple's charred, embracing remains, the friendly forensic scientist enters. That's not all, he says. He leads them through to the dining room, where two freshly plucked brains sit on the table. Did that sick bastard use magic markers to draw narrow eyes and frown lines on them? inquires Mills, examining the exposed organs. I'm afraid so, says the friendly forensic scientist. Oh, by the way, the results came back from the lab. The fibres were blue suede. Somerset's mind goes into overdrive. The events of the past few days flash before his eyes. 
the murder in the ghetto. <laughs> the meat mallet couple, he loved them tender. <laughs> Next to that stripy stone. The jailhouse rock. The chat show host, with his mouth sewed shut, he'll definitely be having a little less conversation. <laughs> the newlyweds burning love and their suspicious minds covered in marker pen on the table. <laughs> Elvis, yells Somerset. The killer is trying to get the King's Greatest Hits album to number one. And as soon as the press gets wind of it, that's exactly what happens. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice. Very nice. When you said tiny blue fibres, I immediately thought of Towerly. <laughs> A million little fibres. <laughs> so what was the talk show host with his mouth sewn shut? A little less conversation, a little more action. Ah, okay. Is it actually Elvis doing the killing as well? Is it, or is, is it somebody like an Elvis? No, it's John Doe. John Doe's a an Elvis fanatic. I just reframed him from a religious fanatic to an Elvis fanatic. Very good. Yeah. I was That's thinking about thing. fanatics. That's what was my kickoff point. Yes, there's quite a few crazy old Elvis fans out there, isn't there? Sure are. So, is the blue suede the first thing that they work out? And then from there, they work out the rest of the song titles and the theme. So the Blue Fivers go to a lab, but when they come back and they found out it's Blue Suede, that is quite a distinctive refrain from Elvis, isn't it? Blue Suede. Mm. You don't hear it anywhere mm. else, really. And so once Somerset hears that, it kicks off his train of thought that helps him connect the dots with the other murders. Yeah. Fine. That's good. I think you'll find it's quite flawless. It's, it's mm. certainly memorable. <laughs> the Elvis mm. song title murders. It's not quite as catchy a title as Seven. No. <laughs> But hey, I'd pay to watch it. But they'd call it Elvis. They would have called it Elvis, but with a Roman numeral five instead of a V. <laughs> Elvis. <laughs> Any more questions for Ben? I can take your congratulations now, then, if you want. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to Adam's evil scheme. My name is John Doe. I have another moniker that you may be familiar with, the Rainbow Killer. Yes, that's right, the infamous Rainbow Killer, see? You might be asking yourself what my modus operandi was and how I got away with it all. So, if you could hit pause on your life for a moment, I've got a story that needs a spotlight. You see, back in 1995, things were different. People used typewriters, bought their alcohol almost exclusively from off-license or liquor store, and the same could be said of sweeties or candy. Independent sweet shops were still booming, and their biggest rival was Woolworths and Wilco, who were slowly whittling down some of us. I used to run one of these shops. I used to go into Woolies, I'd piss in the jellied snakes, cola bottles, flying <laughs> saucers and white mice. I told some of the kids that came into my shop to spread a rumour that those sweets were made of piss. <laughs> told them to have a look. Work like a charm. I digress. One particularly warm but wet spring... Every time there was a rainbow in our town, there'd be a murder. Rumour had it that wherever the rainbow's end was, one would find a dead body. You might say that was subjective. Well, that's entirely the point. Wherever I wanted to kill, I would. I would usually sneak up behind them, pushing popping candy into their eyes, often blowing their eyelids clean off then stuffing marshmallows in their gobs to stop them screaming. Then I'd garrot them with plaited strawberry laces, braided for extra strength and purchase. Later, I'd eat the evidence, or simply get them to try the world's most sour candy, and they'd die in the process. <laughs> I used to leave sanitised rainbow-coloured items, like an empty bag of Skittles, an old Apple Mac, or some rainbow suspenders at the scene in an effort to throw the rosas off the scent. The latter one seemed to implicate late comedian Robin Williams, <laughs> whose TV persona Mork from the TV show Mork and Mindy used to wear them. 
After it was pointed out that Mork was a fictional character, Robin was released 18 hours after his arrest. All good things must come to an end, though, and just like that, after the rainbows stopped happening frequently, the murders ceased. I then went on to entertain myself by creating the first internet message board for dogging in our town, something I'm very proud of. Every now and then, the kids come into my shop, will come in saying someone has been murdered, and if you're out on your own, when there's a rainbow, you better hope you're not at the end of it, even at night, idiots. <laughs> I don't have an issue with John Doe now being an elderly English gentleman <laughs> or with him running a sweet shop or with him mm -hmm. leaving bodies mm -hmm. at the end of rainbows. But my question is, where are these rainbows coming from? Because there's no sun in this city, just rain. Yeah, well, it's it's the mm. when it pops through the clouds. That's the best time you know, to get a rainbow when it's a bit damp, and then you get the gap in the clouds, and sun comes out. It's like oh, there's a rainbow, and then that's when he strikes. I disagree. I don't think there's any rainbows. Mm. I don't think there's any rainbows ever. I had a lot of fun creating this character, so I don't care. <laughs> well, I have got a question off the back of that for Ben, which is: How many colours are there in the rainbow? Seven. And why is your film with the Elvis killer called Seven? It's not. <laughs> but it's the film's Elvis. called Seven. Can't change the name of the film. That's against the rules. The film's called as Seven. As we say every week. Can't change the name of the film. You can't change the name. You didn't say that's just be Seven? No. <laughs> Absolute joke. <laughs> we're there. We're there. We're there. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, there's seven song titles in there, don't worry. Oh, okay. Just by coincidence, there's not like five or six. <laughs> I know it's blue suede shoes. Oh, it actually might be seven, but I didn't <laughs> intentionally do that. I know that Elvis did release seven songs at least, mm. I think minimum. Mm. Yeah. Seven or eight, anyway. Yeah. Well, my film's called Four. I've got a question for uh, Turner. What's your beef? So you say he approaches them from behind with the popping yes. candy in the eyes. Does that mean he has like two handfuls of popping candy? And he does that surprise yes. kind of thing. Guess who? Yeah. And their eyes just instantly... <laughs> yeah. Eyelids just fly off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you imagine the crime scene? The forensic scientist going, well, uh, we found the eyelids. 12 feet over there. <laughs> Well, I'd say we're ready to hear Craig's scheme. Sunday, a young Chihuahua detective joined the old bloodhound at the cat lady's house this morning. He had to wade through a sea of filthy, mangy cats and discarded tuna cans. They argued about something, probably about bringing spare batteries for their torches or why neither of them thought to switch on the light. They don't see my design yet, but they will. I want them to see. The sun casts shadows, but also illuminates. Monday, they discover the body of the temp. This was a person who never stayed in one job, had to stick his dirty little fingers in all the pies, so I turned him into a big job. Stuck his head up his own ass. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he mooned himself. In case the detectives still can't see, I cast a little moonlight for them and daub the word moon on the floor in blood. The moon makes no light itself. It only reflects the light of the sun. Tuesday. The old bloodhound has returned to the cat lady's house after seeing the coroner who by now has explained that she died of mercury poisoning after eating three to five cans of tuna every day for a week. <laughs> Her stomach contents also included a fortune cookie telling the detective where to look for my lesson, and he finds the word written with cat shit in the cat litter. <laughs> Wednesday, they discover the body of the beautiful woman with her arms cut off, my Venus posed beneath her name, spelled out with arms and bits of arm. <laughs> the old bloodhound visits the library while the young chihuahua gets the cliff notes. By now they realise my inspiration and turn to Dante, but not to Inferno, to Paradiso. Thursday, 
The seven lowest spheres of heaven deal solely with the cardinal virtues of prudence, fortitude, justice, and temperance. The first three spheres involve a deficiency of one of the cardinal virtues, the moon containing the inconstant, whose vows to God waned as the moon, and thus lack fortitude, like the temp who can't stick with one job, mercury containing the ambitious, who were virtuous for glory and thus lacked justice, like the cat lady who ambitiously wanted to own 11 cats, it's too many, (laughs) and Venus containing the lovers whose love was directed towards another than God and thus lacked temperance. My Venus loved her arms, she made that clear. (laughs) The final four are positive examples of the cardinal virtues, all led on by the sun, containing the prudent whose wisdom lighted the way for the other virtues, to which the others are bound. Mars contains the men of fortitude who died in the cause of Christianity, Jupiter contains the kings of justice, and Saturn contains the temperate, the monks who abided by the contemplative lifestyle. Friday. Mars Day. Today they find the body of a priest with a load of Mars bars shoved up his ass. <laughs> Saturday. Literally Saturn's Day. I will turn myself into the dogs and lead them out to the desert, where I will reveal to them that they are Jupiter, the kings of justice. Then I will self-immolate, and thus the light of the sun will show them that I am cleansed, and then they will contemplate my design, and they will chill for a bit, becoming Saturn, the temperate. Can you just read that again? I got lost. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of big words, and I'm a very simple man. From the top. <laughs> break it down into layman's terms, please. I'm not as simple as Turner, but still break it down for me too. <laughs> Dante's Divine Comedy, as well as Seven Deadly Sins, there's also Seven Virtues, and in Paradiso, there's seven orbs, and it's you know, the planets and, and the moon and the sun. And so I themed my murders around... Days of the week? Well, the days of the week I read out because they happen in the movie. But Saturday right. just happens to be Saturday. The rest of them got changed through various conquerings of Britain. So like Wednesday is Thursday. Odin's Day, Thursday is Thor's Day. Moon's Days, right? Yeah. The happy Days killings then, essentially. Monday, Tuesday, happy days. Happy Wednesday, day. Thursday, yeah. happy yeah. Okay, happy days. The start of Tuesday, the start of Tuna is the same. Yeah, so there's a lot a lot of stuff working there. It's very layered, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it's very dense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a well-compacted tin of tuna. <laughs> <laughs> Mercury, Mercury poisoning. Mars, Mars bars up the ass. Yeah. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> How is John Doe managing to self-immolate without them stopping him? Well... Swallowed some fire lighters. <laughs> could well have, but he is writing this in his diary before it happens, so we don't know that it works. Oh, okay. but... ah, well, you just oh. shot yourself in the foot there. <laughs> oh, oh, right, guys, we don't know it works. Keep that in mind when we're voting. I was going to say, I think this, ep- this episode, we're just voting for our favourite serial killer, aren't we, really, essentially? Don't tell me what I'm voting for. That's what I'm voting for, anyway. I'm just picking my favourite. I'm voting for Kodos. Hey, wait a minute. Turner, wasn't yours written from the present, reflecting on the past? So yours worked. Yeah, mine worked, yeah. Yeah, mine worked too. Craig, do we know if yours... Oh, we don't know if yours worked. (laughs) Well, we don't know, but it did. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know, but for for the sake of argument, we're going to say it did. (laughs) So what's important is whether John Doe believes that his masterpiece was completed. And the reason he does, like with the woman that he leaves with her nose cut off and the pills and the phone, he knows what she's going to do. And he knows that Milton Somerset will allow him to self-immolate. Also, he swallowed some fire letters. <laughs> You've just saved the day. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, I will reveal my plan. No messing about from me this week, fellas. No flim-flam, no mummery, no tomfoolery, no laxadaisy, no macking about, no phlebotman, no meandering, no feather bedding, no bumming about, no tinkering, 
and certainly no time wasting to get my word count up. <laughs> nope, not I. Not the best, the best, the best. Not in this lifetime. Not on your Nelly. No, sir. <laughs> John Doe wants to be remembered, does he? I'll give him this. The fact that he is the final victim of the plan in the film is a doozy. I'm keeping that. But instead of a puritanical sin-based plan, I've planned for something a bit more jolly, but no less gruesome. Also, it needs less victims to succeed, so it's a bit of a time-saver in that regard. And as previously noted, there shall be no time-wasting from me on this occasion. <laughs> for my first victim, I shall require someone who lacks the virtue of courage. By way of illustration, let's say that this person is an, air quotes, trained professional, proficient with firearms, who refuses to enter a school with his squadron of fellow professionals when someone is inside shooting loads of kids. Lacking in courage, balls, morals, you name it, this cunt has none of it. Detective Mills and Somerset will be investigating that chode's remains on the steps of City Hall with an AK-47 rammed up his ass just like a Mars bar <laughs> and a Medal of Valor will be discovered in each of his lungs during his autopsy. How did Doe manage to get a medal in each lung? Ah, it's just luck, really. Give it a bash and blow me down with a feather. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> For my second victim, I need to source someone who has had a burning ambition to learn something specific for their whole life, but never found the time or energy to do so. Let's see that in this case, the victim wanted to learn a new language, something I imagine most people would like to do, but do not do. There's no other reason to kill this person other than the fact they aren't using their brain to the capacity they ought to. And that is why they will be found slumped over on a park bench, holding onto a waste paper basket that houses their own removed brain. Mm. Oh, my, my, my. Quite delicious of you, John Doe. Quite delicious indeed. Victim the third shall be none other than Argentinian footballing rapscallion Diego Maradona. <laughs> Doe went to a couple of games during the 94 World Cup and couldn't help but notice the obvious. Maradona ballooned off his tits on coke when he scored that goal in that one match. You know the one. The one where it was like, he is definitely ballooned off his tits on coke, mate. <laughs> Why, that certainly won't do you any good. All that delicious cocaine you've been imbibing. No good at all. Particularly your heart, man. What were you thinking? Which is why, upon a visit to the nameless city, legendary filthy handballing cheater Diego Maradona is discovered <laughs> in a seedy hotel slash brothel with a small bomb inside the cavity where his heart should be. Fortunately, as Mills and Somerset scratch their heads in befuddlement at this latest macabre scene, they hear a voice calling from the street. Detective! rings out in a high-pitched shriek as John Doe reveals himself as the killer and reveals that his head is comically swollen. And I mean massive, like Mr. Mackey from South Park times five. He's injected it with helium, you see, to make himself <laughs> resemble the trickster visage of the Wizard of Oz, thus completing his <laughs> madcap scheme, which also encompassed courage, heart and brain. Collapsing dead from blood poisoning immediately after revealing himself to the police, those crimes will never be forgotten, as his motive will never be discovered, and he will be talked about in hushed tones with people saying things like, what was the deal with that Wizard of Oz killer guy? It was really weird. <laughs> I think a better Wizard of Oz serial killer would have been like stuffing somebody with straw, wrapping somebody else in aluminium foil, and then getting somebody else eaten by a lion or putting them in a lion suit. Well, maybe you should have written that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll give you the bones of my scheme next time and you can flesh it out for me. <laughs> <laughs> One of my early ideas, I was going to do the three little pigs. Hmm. And that, yeah, my first murder was going to be stuffed with straw coming out <laughs> of every orifice. You name it. It's got straw coming out of it. Your cuticles. Penis hole? <laughs> oh, yeah, straw. Just but just one strand. No, it's got to be three, <laughs> just to make it a bit painful. Oh. <laughs> Did anyone get on the Wizard of Oz track before the end there? I certainly no. didn't until the giant head. No. <laughs> no. That's hence my critique, yeah. No, I thought it was quite well done, because the pieces are all there. Uh, especially, like, that you killed Maradona. Yeah, it came in. What do we all think about who wrote for Leon's The Falklands while we're talking? 
Or do you mean Malvinus? What did you say about your penis? It's <laughs> <laughs> got a straw in it. <laughs> a stroke of luck with those medals of valor, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blow me down with a feather. He's bloody done it. <laughs> first, <laughs> first try. <laughs> he looks at the camera and he goes, that was a stroke of luck, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Those plans, if I'm not mistaken, were finger-shavingly diabolical, weren't they? We had Ben's Elvis fanatic plan, Adam's sweetie shop rainbow plan, Craig's seven virtues plan, and my own Wizard of Oz plan. But there can only be everyone who gets points on the board. So with that, <laughs> if we could all cast our votes, that would be mm, biblical. <laughs> Let's hear Adam's vote first. We've all been very inventive tonight. I think one was uh, cheekily inventive and I voted for Ben. Ooh, thanking you. So let's see who Ben voted for. Well, it's going to seem like a mutual hand shandy, but I loved the imagery of the popping candy and the eyelids <laughs> flying off. So I vote for Adam. Thank and you. I've drawn a rainbow and some eyelids flying through the sky. <laughs> it's like a Beatles song. Eyelids in the sky with <laughs> rainbows. <laughs> hey, let's see who Craig voted for. Well, I enjoyed a lot of the imagery and the theme, so uh, my vote went to the best, the best, the best, the best, the best. He is a friend of Dorothy, the old Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Or is it going to be circle jerk complete? Not quite, unfortunately. I have also cast my vote for Ben's Elvis plan. Yes! Thank you very much. So we come to this week's updated leaderboard, and we have a new leader with seven <gasps> points on the board. It's Ben. Love lifts wow. me up where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> In second place with six points is Adam. Yes. In third place with four points is Craig. Ooh. And bringing up the rear is me with three <laughs> points. How the tables have turned, hey? Mm. How the turntables. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will do us for another batch of evil schemes, but we shall return next Monday for another dose of podcast. Casting and pontification with Craig's choice of film. If you would be so kind as to reveal what you have selected, please. It is another huge 80s movie. It's a favourite, perennial favourite of mine and my brothers. We piss ourselves laughing every time we watch it together. It is Beverly Hills Cop. Nice. Very good indeed, with the fourth one coming out this year, is it? Yeah. Peril Pels, join us next week as we discuss Axel Foley and whoever the bad guy is in Beverly Hills Cop. Until then, remember, everything will be all right in the end, and if it isn't all right, then it isn't the end. Who is the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cup? It's Judge Reinhold. <laughs> I met this girl on Monday. Took her for a drink on Tuesday. We were making love by Wednesday. And Thursday and Friday and Saturday, we chilled on Sunday. There you go. That's my seventh song. What you got? You let me violate you.
Oh, you let me desecrate you. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you let me penetrate you, baby. You let me complicate you tonight. It's the song from the opening credits of Seven. I don't remember it being so jazzy. <laughs> That's the Mike Flowers and the Pops version, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's pod. We're in these three retrobrates. Retrobrates. Do that again. <laughs> but I mean, it is true. There are too many yeah, internet too these many days. Internets. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe you moved for it. Too many internet. Where internet? <laughs> too many that where. <laughs> Fortunately, as Mills and Somerset scratched the. Oh man, I just had a weird like flash that I'd said Somerset wrong, but I didn't, did I? Weird. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> you said Devon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>